KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. Wednesday, January 6th was a day we will truly never forget as the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. was overrun by a violent mob who had just left a rally where President Trump spoke. We're still learning about the extent of what happened and more importantly, how it was able to happen. But we wanted to talk about putting this moment in context, talk about where we go from here and what we could see going forward. Spoke with Dr. John Kennedy. He is a professor in the Department of Political Science at Westchester University. University. Give a listen. So as we're talking on Friday afternoon, let's start with the events of Wednesday uh, as a mob of supporters of the president overtook the Capitol. And uh, it was scary. Is there anything in our history contextually we can equate this to? Well, there there was a a civil war about 150 years ago, uh, 120 years ago. I I mean, in in recent American history, no. I mean, there have been singular attacks upon the Capitol by individuals at times, but I don't think we've ever seen, we've we've never seen, you know, Confederate flags being flown inside the Capitol. Uh, We've never seen sort of the attack on members as as as, as sort of a somewhat organized group. Uh, a mass of people uh, trying to and, and somewhat being somewhat successful of actually storming the Capitol and taking it over for a period of time. So, yeah, it's scary. It was I mean, it certainly is something that um, uh, history will look back upon. And, and, and I think I would, I would hope wonder how did this all happen to that point? I've never really I've been to Washington DC in that area once or twice but I've never approached the capital but reading things people that have worked down there and I've read anecdotes of like somebody tried to bring in a piece of pizza wrapped in tin foil and the security wouldn't let them through and people getting yelled at for crossing the street by Capitol police 3 blocks away like just little anecdotal things and then you watch this and it seemed incredibly easy. How alarming is it that on a day that no one should have been surprised there was a group of people like this, that it appeared so easy for everybody to get in? I mean, there, there's obviously going to have to be some very, uh, very intense uh, an analysis of what happened and how the Capitol Police handled the situation. Uh, what were the protocol for some, what is pro- proper protocol for something like this? Um, you know, some people might defend the police in this situation, saying they tried to defuse the situation. They didn't want to get too out of hand. But when you have members of the U.S. Congress and the vice president himself, the United States of America, you know, uh, hiding inside the Capitol, hiding underground, hiding under chairs, uh, that is totally unacceptable. And, uh, you know, clearly, if it, if it doesn't take place in the next week or two, the new administration and new Congress is going to have to, uh, they're going to have to rethink uh, how uh, security is, is um, uh, viewed. I mean, I will say, uh, you know, prior to 9-11, security in the Capitol was relatively, as it was in most state capitals, was relatively lax. I mean, you could, I remember taking students on class trips pre-9-11, and you could literally you know, you know, the House and Senate were in session. You could literally, you know, go from one to the other just freely. You know, you could go in and you could literally walk from one end to the other, back and forth. And there was really, you know, there, there, there were no limitations. 
I took a class after 9-11 and it was just, unfortunately, it was just, and of course, you know, knowledge that it was necessary, but it was a totally different experience as far as security and being able to go, you, you wouldn't, you had to make a decision, put it this way, that you could, you know, could, do you want to go into the house? Do you want to go into set it? Because they just didn't have the time to go through security in the, in the process. And, you know, I've been there recently, well, not very recently, but a few years ago. And uh, it's, it's, it's not like it once was. You don't freely walk the halls as you did. The tours are sort of geared to, you know, they, they sort of move people into a, a, a video room where you can watch videos. So things changed a little bit with 9-11. Uh, so, but to answer your question, yeah, that doesn't really answer uh, what happened this past Wednesday. And, and we're just beginning to find out as information unfolds, as far as the National Guard being called, was their call unanswered for, for a few hours. You know, if we find out, you know, whoever made those kind of decisions, you know, there has to be a, a tremendous culpability. One of the things I didn't think about initially, but someone brought up, and I'm curious if you know the answer to this, this all happened as Congress was counting the electoral votes. And this is this, these are like certified pieces of paper from all 50 states. What if something had happened to the box of votes? If that had been taken, set on fire, or just destroyed in chaos? Is this a thing where all of a sudden it gives people a window to say that uh, this election doesn't count or some, a lot of the rhetoric we've heard that a lot of people rolled their eyes would all of a sudden they have a foothold or are there other copies of these votes? Do you know how that works? I mean, we're sort of in uncharted territory here, but, and, and you saw a photograph of those two heroic staffers carrying those, the, the boxes out. It's my understanding that there were two duplicate sets of boxes. So, you know, now if all three had been destroyed, I don't know if, you know, we would at that point, what would have happened? I guess you, the only solution would be to go back to the states and do a revote, I, I assume. I mean, it, it, there's a formality to it, but there's also some legal quality to it that certain things have to happen. So and, and I think that's, you know, going back to your your previous question on, on the events. I mean, these are things that we we took for granted in the United States. And, and I tell my students, you know. In, in 1801, uh, you know, the Federalist Party, and despite their, considering all their tremendous achievements, the, the great, uh, the glorious presidency of George Washington and, you know, establishing basically our court system and our financial system, the greatest thing the Federalist Party gave us was this tradition of secession, of, you know, peaceful secession of power, you know, that, yeah, it was a bitter defeat in 1800 when, John Adams lost to Thomas Jefferson, but in the end, they they didn't call out the militia. They didn't try and you know uh, overturn the election. They peacefully established something we take for granted. And you know we we've seen over the last two months that, um, and I've I've thought this through. This is something now I have, in addressing students on this topic, we took it for granted and. It's not necessarily a given that there is a peaceful trans- transfer of power. Um, it's something that uh, certainly we have to guard against. To that point, how concerned are you about the precedent that's been set for the last two months? I mean, if, if we look at the election with no context of who was running and our political moment and our polarization – 
it wasn't a landslide, but it was not particularly close. And had it, we not been in the middle of a pandemic and the mail ballots counted late and all that, we would have known, I think, by midnight on election night that Joe Biden had won. But have we now cracked open the door for if we have a an election of like 2000 where it comes down to one state and that it's it almost might be a brute force situation and i don't mean that from the physical standpoint but whatever side just pushes 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 will will get it regardless of what the vote total is i, I, I that's a tough one to answer uh i i i you you wonder you know, are we on a slippery slope here? Well, hopefully not. Hopefully we will return to a sense of normalcy that this the, sort of this partisan, negative partisanship fever that has gripped this country and is, you know, for, for a number of years, it didn't begin with uh, with Donald Trump, but, you know, it, it certainly has accelerated on both sides that, that you know, cooler heads will begin to take some steps back whether that can be done in this environment that we live in today of social media, of 24-hour competing cable networks, of talk radio, that remains to be seen. But, yeah, I mean, and, and imagine a scenario, and I'm not here to defend the Electoral College, and I think that we do need reforms to the Electoral College, but, you know, imagine if we had a, a national winner-take-all election that came down to a few thousand votes and... You had a situation as unfolded in Florida in 2000, unfold across the country. You know, it goes back to the, the question we looked at, uh, the, this, this peaceful transfer of power. And unfortunately, there are many on both sides who look at the other side as illegitimate. And you already hear many Republicans and Trump supporters refusing to acknowledge that uh, that Joe Biden is going to be the next president. So how is how is that all going to play out? Hopefully, uh, again, this fever will subside a little bit. Being living in a pandemic over the last year or so really hasn't helped um, help the help the environment either. To the point about how important the peaceful transfer of power has been in this country, how much has our standing to push for democracy in other places been hurt. I would imagine that if we were to push the Chinese about Hong Kong, you know, Taiwan, stuff like that, they're going to point back and uh, why don't you get your own house in order before you come tell us how we should uh, execute our government now? I, I can only imagine, um, you know, in, in sitting, sitting at home watching the events unfold this past Wednesday, what people around the world were looking at and how you're right, how their view of the United States has changed. Uh, maybe it's changed a little bit prior to it. Um, you know, the last four years have been tumultuous to say the least, but watching individuals storming and climbing on top, taking down the American flag, carrying Confederate flags in the, in the Capitol, walking off with the speaker, of the podium and speaker of the house, people in, in, in the office of members, including the speaker, I, I can only imagine, you know, what that, the impact of that uh, throughout the world is going to be. You know, you mentioned China, but, you know, you, you know, what about places like Turkey, Hungary, where we're trying to try to, we, you know, the hope is to try to continue to instill or reverse sort of the negative 
uh, undemocratic impulses that they've had in recent years. The idea that, you know, this shining city on the hill, has that been tarnished? What does it say, and it kind of goes along with everything you've been saying, but we talked about how they were counting the electoral votes, and then they stopped, obviously, to evacuate, and then in the middle of the night they did count. And even after everything that happened, you still had, I think it was seven members of the Senate and over 100 members of the House that voted to not accept the certain states of the Electoral College. I mean, what does that say about our political moment, that we can have something like we saw Wednesday and still people will go along with this fallacy that the election was stolen? And I don't mean people like your cousin down the street, duly elected members of Congress. Not only duly elected members of Congress, in the case of Pennsylvania, eight of the nine Republicans in the U.S. Congress voted to decertify their own state's elections, presidential election, uh, which also, I might add, included their names on the ballot in which they were reelected. So, you know, the idea that the, the presidential election was tainted, but uh, theirs was, 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 you know, was, was fine. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's going to be something that these members are going to have to answer, I, I assume, going forward in their careers. For some of them, if they're in deeply red districts, uh, it, you know, it may not have an impact. It may not have a negative impact. It may have a positive impact. But, you know, uh, for some uh, with, with, you know, individuals with greater ambitions, maybe, you know, interesting to see what the impact is on someone like Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley, who obviously have presidential ambitions going forward. And, uh, you know, certainly they, they've made some, uh, some, some enemies within their own caucus, speaking, you know, starting with the, the, the majority leader. Mitch McConnell. Do you anticipate, we talk about, you know, making enemies within the caucus and stuff like that. Do you think there will be any political ramifications, or I shouldn't say political, I don't mean at the ballot box, but ramifications for these, these folks as far as, I've heard censure thrown around, stripped of committee. I mean, I don't know. I know some people have talked about expelling, specifically in the Senate. I don't know how realistic that is, but kind of give us some insight on if anything you think we'll see. Well, I mean, there's a few things you mentioned. I think I don't think ex, uh, expelling members is, is going to be an option. I think censure is an option. I don't think it will happen. Uh, it's, it's and censure it does have some symbolic force to it, but it, it is largely symbolic, and it's 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 you know it's I won't say it's a slap on the wrist, and it certainly is a mark against someone in, in their career but again for some it might 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 be seen as as in some quarters as a positive given the situation i think where you will see uh some pushback within the gop caucus which is what we're talking about is uh from the leadership and and from the, as as things the uh, things that you mentioned uh, committee assignments you know the kind of do they do they receive you know, when they run for re-election, when they run for president, um, you know, Hawley and Cruz in particular uh, are going to be up in 2024. So there's still four years uh, to go. But, uh, you know, what's the reaction? You know, you have newspapers in the state of Missouri, major two major newspapers calling for his, resign- for, for his resignation. Uh, so I think the, the question is whether Republican donors who, like the majority leader, has certainly a close relationship with uh, whether there's a backlash within within sort of the, the caucus itself, because 
this this was not a good look for this is not again what Mitch McConnell and the leadership of the Republican Party in the Senate wanted at all. With regards to President Trump, there have been calls for his resignation. That's not going to happen. There is talk of another impeachment. Uh, we've also heard the 25th Amendment thrown around. Very quickly, if you could, the 25th Amendment, I think it's something people hear. Uh, give us the quick of how it works, because it's not, I think people think it's a lot easier than it is. It's kind of clunky, isn't it? It's, it, it's very swift, which is sort of the advantage over impeachment. If, you're, if, you're, if there's a real concern about the president and, you know, we, we've seen you know, Nancy Pelosi uh, approach the, the military leadership as far as the nuclear codes and stuff. If there was a real concern there, it is a swift uh, act. So what, ha- what would ha- the process would be that the, the, the essentially the vice president uh, and with the consent of a majority of the uh, cabinet can you really immediately sort of dispatch the president and Mike Pence in this situation would be the acting president. I mean, it was designed, you know, in a situation of presidential infirmity, um, you know, such as Woodrow Wilson in the early part of the 20th century. It really wasn't designed for a president who is uh, not say physical, but more, you know, emotionally uh, able to carry out the responsibilities of the office. I think it's unlikely that it's highly unlikely that Mike Pence is going to uh, initiate this. Um, he's received a uh, tremendous amount of criticism. We saw the, you know, the, those, you know, those, uh, you know, domestic terrorists who attacked the Capitol. Uh, they were, they were looking, you know, they were, Mike Pence was perhaps their number one target. Uh, so he's made a lot of enemies. Um, you know, certainly the president, president Trump made it very difficult. Difficult for him and really put him in a vice with his demand that the the election be overturned. But I think his hope is now just run out the clock. Uh, you know, we're, we're nearing the end of the administration, and not to not to sort of start a whole new fire with with the with activating the twenty fifth amendment and the cabinet itself. We've seen a couple cabinet members who uh, re- re- resigned recently. They may have been maybe been some who may have been more likely to vote to uh, activate the amendment. And so, you know, we're left in the cabinet now. It's, it's, a, it's a very loyal group to President Trump. So that's, that's really unlikely. The amendment, the, uh, excuse me, the um, uh, impeachment, I think, uh, you know, the Democrats now are, are obviously going to proceed uh, there's one Republican, Congressman Adam Kinzinger from Illinois, who is uh, the, the one Republican, one Republican more than they had in, in, in last year in the impeachment process. But one Republican, I think there are some Republican senators who would go along with it, whether they would re- would be whether Democrats, even if all 50 Democrats uh, voted to remove the president in the Senate, you would still need 17 Republicans to come along. And that's going to be a, that's going to be a tough chore. So, and, but removal, you can't speed up the process. I mean, the, the uh, impeachment process we saw unfold and take, you know, quite a bit of time. You, you could speed it up and it could take place in, within a few days, but the, the impeachment would do two things. It would, and, and removal, would remove the president, obviously, but it would also, uh, as, as provided by Article One, you can draw up the impeachments to prevent the individual in question from ever seeking or holding public office again. So 
you know, that that was not part of the impeachment process last year, but that would be obviously a key element to it this year to prevent uh, President Trump from running again and, and holding public office, which which might be a sweetener for some Republicans uh, because it would it would solve uh, an issue and it might, it might solve an issue for some Republicans who want to run for president in four years who wouldn't have to worry about President Trump running running again. We're about a week and a half from Joe Biden taking office. Is there a president who in modern or in history that has taken office uh, with more crises on more fronts? I mean, you talk about, you know, he'll take office a week and a half after an attempted insurrection. We're still yeah. in the midst of a pandemic, which, oh, by the way, is killing more people now than ever. And Never. because of everything else, it almost uh, feels like an afterthought. Um, I Economic uncertainty, you know, I think it's a lot. And that's all yeah. in-house. Like, we're not even talking about anything foreign threats. Uh, who would you equate? what Joe Biden stepping into, or is there anyone you would equate it to? Uh, well, I mean, I guess you, you might say FDR perhaps because of the, 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 the you know, the, the, the economic crisis, but that was again, economic crisis. There were, there were also political issues at stake there as well, but it wasn't, I think as broad as you mentioned as the, what we're facing today, including a pandemic. I think I think you know looking at it certainly uh, you you have to you have to consider Lincoln's um, you know the, the you know the environment that he faced in in 1861 um, you know taking office and we're we're actually in a civil war you know we're, we're not a, so uh, but these are this is a this is a this is a time hopefully we'll look back again as I've mentioned that this this is sort of a fever that has gripped the country and it does provide an opportunity for the president elect. And so, you know, if, if, if two years from now, four years from now, if things can improve, uh, hopefully the pandemic is taken care of and hopefully the economy can come back strong. Uh, it does provide a, some, some political opportunity uh, and hopefully the country can emotionally heal itself a little bit. Uh, and that includes both sides. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 